Go ahead and grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with. Today we're actually finishing up a series that we've done, a character study called Nehemiah. And we've been looking at this ordinary guy in the Old Testament. It's ordinary, just cupbearer of the Old Testament who God uses to do an incredible work. And I love the story of Nehemiah because Nehemiah, and I'll tell you a little bit more as we kind of get into this concluding sermon for today. But I love the story of Nehemiah because Nehemiah walks through some things and still keeps his faith in God, keeps his tenacity to do what God has called him to do. And we're going to read a little bit about his story and the oppositions that he faced. Because here's what I know. I know that every single one of you were not created by accident. It's something I believe and I will die on that soapbox, everybody, that every single one of you, God has a purpose for your life. That God has created you to do something for the kingdom of God, something that has eternal difference. God has put that inside of you. And because of our gracious God, he has given you giftings and talents and intelligence and abilities and influence and leadership and opportunities. He has put those in your life to do something for his kingdom. And I don't know what exactly it looks like. It's different for each person, but I believe it with all of my heart that as a follower of Christ, there is purpose inside of you to do something that will outlast us. And I'm believing for the Holy Spirit to stir up some people today, to inspire some people, to give some passion about those things that maybe have lain dormant or maybe things that you thought were too hard to accomplish, that God would bring that back out, that we would make an eternal difference, something that outlasts us, something that is for eternity, storing up treasures where moth and rust do not destroy, that we're able to do that in our lives. We're able to sow into the kingdom of God. Not that we are great, but that we are working to make him. We are working to create his king. We are working to build it up and to reach others for eternity. And so that is what we are called to do. And so I believe every single person is created to make an eternal difference. So let me catch you up to speed in case you missed weeks one through three. You're like, I don't even know Nehemiah, whether it even has to do with anything. Nehemiah is this ordinary guy in the Old Testament. He's not a prophet. He's not a pastor. He's not a king. He's not a warrior. He's not a building contractor. He is a cupbearer to the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes. And so you're thinking, what is a cupbearer? Cupbearer is kind of like a servant slash trusted advisor of the king. And so he hears from his brother about the plight of his people. Nehemiah is living like a thousand miles away from where his people. It's like 150 years. It's a long time after anything has happened. But he hears about the plight of his people in his homeland. And he's so disconnected from that life. If you can imagine, he's had a couple of generations now of his family not in the home. And he's so disconnected, but he hears about the plight of his people. And it breaks his heart. You remember in week one, we talked about in 587 BC, under the reign of the evil King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians have run into Judah and done things that are unspeakable. They have completely destroyed the land. They destroyed Jerusalem. They burned the gates with fire. They destroyed Solomon's temple. They've done all these things and they take thousands and thousands of the Jewish people captive, taken from their homelands. So decades pass and nobody seems able to rebuild the wall. They try over and over and nobody seems to get any kind of momentum. They can't rebuild the wall. And if they can't rebuild the wall, they can't rebuild the city. And so decades and decades, they live in ruin and they live without hope and they live without any kind of economy or any kind of hope of their city ever being rebuilt. And all of these years pass until we come to Nehemiah a thousand miles away and he hears about the plight of his people and his heart sinks. And he hears that the people of God are vulnerable, that they have no leadership, no direction, no hope. And so Nehemiah does what we talked about in week one. He lets his heart break. It says he sits down, he begins to cry. But then he bows down and he begins to pray. In four months he prays and he prays over and over again. You'll see in the book 
He continues to pray and to pray and to pray. Every opportunity, whether it's a long prayer or it's just this quick, like, two-word prayer, he prays throughout every single chance he gets. And he prays, and then he goes before the king, and he asks permission to go back to his homeland to rebuild the wall. And he asks for provision and for protection. If he can go back and maybe assess the situation and maybe see where the people are and see if he can do something that nobody else has been able to do. See if God will maybe use him to inspire the people and do something that for decades has not been able to be done. And so he goes back to rebuild the wall. And so at first things go well. He gets the provision and the protection. And then things don't go well. He gets opposition. And then they do go well. And then he inspires them and they don't go well. And then his passion and all these things. And finally they start to see a little bit of progress. We saw that last week. A little bit of progress. And so what do we see though in week number three? Is that as soon as progress is made, as soon as a little bit of the wall starts to go up, opposition comes rolling in against Nehemiah. The moment you start working towards the kingdom of God, not your own selfish desires, the moment you start throwing in your lot saying, I want to build the kingdom of God, I guarantee you opposition will come. Because there is nothing the enemy likes more than to adversate. It likes to be against anything God is trying to do. The adversary means he opposes the things of God. We talked last week, not because we are suddenly so important that the devil suddenly knows our name and wants to oppose us. No, he opposes the things of God. And when you align yourself with the things of God, Just expect opposition to come. Expect there to be problems. Because as soon as you try to do the work of God, expect there to be opposition to that in your heart to come. But maybe even more dangerous than that, and I think for a lot of people who maybe are aware of those things, they think, okay, opposition is coming, so I'm going to meet it head on. Maybe more difficult or more dangerous to us than that. And that is if the devil can't destroy you, he is really, really happy to distract you. If he can't destroy you, then he is more than happy. Nick preached about this, Pastor Nick, during our 21 days of prayer. More than happy to get you distracted from doing the things of God. And too often times, we will set up our guard and our fence against all kinds of destruction. And we will say, I know the opposition is coming. I'm going to meet it head on. And we forget to set any kind of guard against distraction. We get our eyes off of the mission, off of the calling, off of what God has called us to do. And that's what happens in this story. The wall starts to go up and the enemies, we remember them, Sambalat and Tobiah. You remember from last week, Jafar and Iago up there and thing. And a guy named Geshem, who just sounds like an enemy, right? Geshem comes with those two now. They show up and they try to distract Nehemiah off of the job. They haven't been able to destroy him. They haven't been able to wipe him out. And so now they try a different tactic. And so if week one and week two, we were beginning to respond. Letting our hearts break, beginning to respond. In week three, we were facing opposition. Week four, we are learning to shut down distractions. That kind of take us off of the purpose. So we're in verse one of Nehemiah chapter six. If you have your Bible, we'll have it up here on the screens as well. Verse one, Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall. It's incredible work. And that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. So what do Sambalat and Geshem do? Sambalat and Geshem sent a message asking me, asking Nehemiah to meet them at the villages, one of the villages in the plain of Ono. And they say, Nehemiah, stop building the wall. Come and meet with us. Nehemiah, stop doing the work of God. We know we've said nasty things in the past, but come and visit us in the village of Ono. And honestly, first tip, if you're jotting down, if you're taking some notes today, first tip that you may want to write down is whatever you do, never meet your enemies in a place called Ono. Come on, somebody. Like, just don't do it. Like, if you just, if you want wisdom for today, you never meet your enemies in a place called, oh no. What's interesting to me, though, come back with me. What's interesting to me, when you look at this, 
is to think perhaps how one of us would have interpreted this opportunity in our context. This opportunity to meet with the enemies. Because I was just, I'm reading this story, Nehemiah gets this invitation. And honestly, if you never read the story before, you don't know Sambalat and Geshem. You're not familiar with their, their ways that they try to trick people or do whatever. If you had this opportunity from your enemies, how we would interpret it. What would we say? We'd say, well, 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 right? I know they've said some nasty things. I know they hate me. I know they've been posting nasty things about me on Facebook. But now is my chance to confront my enemies. Look at looky here. This is my opportunity now to set some things right. I got some stuff. I want. We are rolling out to. Oh no, everybody! I got some things I want to say. This is my chance. My chance to confront. Or maybe if you're a little bit more uh, gracious, what an opportunity to convert my critics. I'm not going to confront them. I'm going to convert them. I'm going to give my side of the story. I'm going to talk about the things that God has been doing through me, and they're going to all fall on their face and serve the God of heaven. This is my chance to convert my critics. It's not what Nehemiah does. It's not what he does. Or maybe if this is just, and again, I'm just trying to think the ways we would interpret this. Maybe this is a chance to build my influence. This is a chance to build my brand. Come on, somebody. I got, I got a chance to really get some more influence in this. This is my chance to confront and to convert, maybe reach more people, maybe establish a little bit of base. I got this village and that village, and this is my opportunity. And so often, though, what we think of as opportunities, God oftentimes would call a distraction. What we think are opportunities that would take us and build us and make us famous and make us, God would call a distraction from what he has called us to do. And too often times we'll get bogged down thinking now it's my chance to confront them. It's my chance to do this. It's my chance to build my influence, to do something impressive that I could do. This is my opportunity. And yet it would distract us from what God has called us to do. And maybe we think, well, my purpose isn't flashy and my, my dreams aren't, they're not just they. And I've got such bigger potential. I got to go and take advantage of these. And we let ourselves be distracted. If the devil can't destroy you, he will be really, really happy to get you distracted. And so oftentimes we think what's an opportunity is actually a distraction trying to divert us off of our purpose. And I would argue there probably has never been an easier time in the world to be distracted than the time we live in. Like everything, like ding, bing, Going, everything has like an alert or a timer or a screen or something. Everything has a distraction for us. And so many, every time we look, and it's so easy. Have you not noticed? It's so easy to become incredibly good at things that don't matter at all. It's so easy to become incredibly gifted and amazing and passionate about wasting our time. And I'm not trying to harp on every single type of, of thing that you do. And every time, that's not, that's not my heart behind this. But hear me, it is so easy to be diverted from the things of God because we let ourselves be distracted. We have a wall against destruction, but we let distraction sneak in the back door. And too many times we let the enemy distract us. So what do we see in the story? The enemies, the critics, they ask Nehemiah for a meeting. And they're like, Nehemiah, let's have a meeting. And Nehemiah rejects the meeting. Why? So he can stay on task and finish the wall. He knows what he's been called to do. So they cry, Nehemiah, will you meet with us? No. Nehemiah, will you come meet with us? No. Nehemiah, we got some philosophical arguments to have. No. Will you come, Nehemiah, meet us in the place? No. Will you? Nope, nope, nobody, nope, nope. And Nehemiah, again and again and again, I will submit to you one of the most strategic skills that you can develop in doing what God has called you to do, in living out your purpose, one of the most strategic skills you can have is your ability to say no. Your ability to say no is one of your most important words that you could possibly say. In fact, as the pastoral staff, we are doing that this year. A lot of things that we would normally do, a lot of events and things that we would do, we are saying no to so we can do what God has called us to do. 
Something we have been meeting, probably now six different meetings that we've had among the pastors, that we're just agreeing what God has called us to do is more important than what we think is an opportunity. And so many times in your life, one of the most important things you can learn to do is to say, no, I don't want to be distracted by things that would take me out of God's will for my life. I'm going to say no to that. How do you say no when someone's like, can you come and join this business or this ministry? Can you do this? Can you meet me here? Can you give all your waking moments to this? Can you come and do How do you say no? I want to teach you very, very carefully today how you can say no to this. You ready, everybody? This is how you do it. You take your head and you say no. It's incredible. You just, you just shake your... And I'm going to do it again. So some of you may have missed it. Some of you may not be... You might not have grasped the intricacy of how this works, right? You take your head. You kind of do it at an angle if you want to. You can do, you know. And facial expressions, you can do. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to frown. You can smile while you say it. And you can say no. In fact, I thought about this this morning. We're going to do it together, everybody. All right, together. We're going to say our heads right now with me. We're going to go. Here we go. No. Come on, say it with me. Now, I don't know if you're playing along or you're saying, no, you won't do it. All right. So together, here we go. We're going to say, do you want to buy it? No. Do you want to do it? No. Are you going to give me every waking moment of your life? No. It's easier than we think. And yet so many of us will not allow ourselves to do it. And we will give ourselves to everything in every direction, using all of our energy to do all these things that are distractions instead of saying no. And listen to me, everybody. Don't say maybe when you mean no. Come on, somebody. Like, don't waste my time. Don't waste your time. Like, we just, like, don't say, and this will set some of you free today. No is a complete sentence. Like, you got to understand it. Like, you don't have to say no because you don't have to even, you can say no to the things that are a distraction. So you can say yes to the kingdom of God, to what God has called you to do. In fact, Jesus said no, probably better than anybody else in this world. You read the stories of Jesus where he will be healing and preaching and seeing the crowds. And then all of a sudden he's like, I'm done. And he walks away. And he's like, okay, that's it. I got to go pray now. I got to go be with my father. In fact, Jesus would say no to the crowd so he could say yes to his father. So many times you find they're looking for Jesus. They're searching for Jesus. And Jesus in some remote mountain place praying and lifting up his face to what God has called him. He had to spend those times with the Father so he could do what he was called to do. And so many times we will say yes to distractions because we allow ourselves to use our energy in so many different directions. I want to speak to some of you right now, maybe as leaders. Or maybe you're in a role of leadership or it's something you have a passion for or a dream for. This is one of the most strategic things you can do with your calling is able to say no to things that are a distraction. To say yes to the purpose God has for your life. That God has called you. Because eventually if you give yourself, all of you, to every different thing and every different idea and every different what you think of as an opportunity. Eventually you will have nothing to give to anyone. And when it actually matters and God has called you to do something and a purpose, you will have spent yourself in a thousand different directions. You won't be able to do what God has called you to do. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you, and it might set somebody free today, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Four different times, four times the enemies asked for a meeting. Will you meet with us, Nehemiah? No. Will you come and meet with us, Nehemiah? No. Will you meet with us? Will you meet with us? Four times Nehemiah gives them the exact same answer. And we'll look at that in just a few moments. But he says, no, I'm not coming down. I, I got to do it. They say, stop building. No, no, no. The fifth time, Scripture says this. The fifth time, Sambalat, this is the bad guy. His servant comes with an open letter in his hand. And this is what it said. Watch what the letter says. There is a rumor... 
Come on, this is like, like Sambalat the Gossip Queen, right? Like we're back in high school, everybody. Sambalat. There, there is a rumor, Nehemiah, among the surrounding nations. And I, said, I laugh when I read this verse. And Geshem tells me that it's true. You think church life has not changed in a few thousand years. Come on, somebody. <laughs> That's funnier to me than it is to you. There, there's a rumor, Nehemiah, among the surrounding nations. Lord, help me. Lord, just... And Geshem assures me, Geshem, the little, little guy, he comes and tells me it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. And that is why you are building this wall. Nehemiah, we know, we, we heard the rumor. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. There's a rumor, Nehemiah. Don't let the lies of people distract you from the purpose of God. Because he sends this lie and he's like, and Geshem says it's true, so it must be true if Geshem believes it. And he says that you want to be the king, Nehemiah. You're so high and mighty now. You're this the king. You want to overthrow the real king. There's a rumor about don't let the lies of people, the whispers of people distract you from the purpose of God. That people want to whisper and rumor and whatever it is. Don't let that ever divert you from what God has called you to do. If we've learned anything in these four weeks, Nehemiah doesn't let anything knock him off course. Say what you want to say. Do what you want to do. Whatever it is. This will speak to some of you maybe who have critics right now. I heard a leader one time say... Don't worry about what people say about you. Worry about what's true about you. And too many times we let ourselves get wrapped up in critics or in rumors or in these things that people that don't really matter anyway, spoken by small minded people. And we let it divert us from what God has called us to do. And we spend so much time trying to defend and convert and try to just confront every single thing. Said a, there's a rumor and Geshem has decided that it's true. Don't let the haters knock you off of your course. The critics try to take you off from what God has called you to do. There's a rumor, he says, Nehemiah, you want to be king. And Nehemiah in verse 8, he's like, there's no truth to any part of your story. In fact, one translation says, you are inventing things in your mind. You are inventing. Here's what happened. Instead of letting this opposition discourage him, oh, they don't like me. Oh, I can't please everybody. Oh, it won't happen the way I really want this opportunity. I can't get the job. Instead of letting it discourage him, watch what he says in this next verse. He says, and so trying to intimidate us, imagine that they could discourage us and stop the work. It's what critics try to do. It's what these rumor mills, it's what they're trying to do so they could discourage and stop the work. Watch what Nehemiah's response. So I continued with even greater determination. Nehemiah is not like, so I went to the plain of Ono and I really let them have it. I went and I listed my six things that really just destroyed their argument. And I went and I did, I, I wrote this whole thing and I really posted it so everybody would know how, how incredible my purpose and my call. No, Nehemiah is like, so I worked even harder at what God called me to do. In fact, the, the critics, I, it gave me fuel to my fire. It was incredible. I appreciate Sambalat and Geshem and Tobias. Thank you very much. I'm going to work harder at what God has done. In fact, one translation says he throws up one more little dart-like prayer. God, strengthen my hands. Let me continue. He's not like God, strengthen my argument. God, strengthen my words so I can really cut them with them. God, give me the words and the cleverness. He said, God, strengthen my hands. He knows what he's called to do. And he says, I did it with even greater determination. Whenever opposition tries to talk us off, tries to knock you off of your purpose and the plan God has, doesn't discourage us. It builds our faith and God is for us. And we continue with even greater determination. What do we know? Once the wall starts going up, once you take a step of faith, once you reach out, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be resistance. But we let the hand of God build our faith, that he's with us every step of the way. And listen to me, once you start making a difference, 
Once this thing happens, the ministry, whatever it is that you're doing, the people group that you're trying to reach, the, the love you're trying to pour, once it happens that you do, you start making a difference. Maybe you're discipling people, whether it's in small groups or in your everyday life, you're starting to disciple and you start seeing a difference in their lives. And you start seeing God use you to help them or you start being a witness to the people that you work for or the people that you work with. Or maybe you start pouring love into people who have never experienced the love of Christ before. Whenever you start doing that and seeing a difference made, listen to me, there is a warning I can give you. And that is once success starts, never let the external success cause an internal damage to your heart. That as soon as you start seeing a difference made, you start seeing people reached, or you start seeing people converted, or people changed, and Christ doing that, never think it's because of you. Because there's a danger that comes with the success that God brings when he, you are faithful to the cause and he brings that into your life. It's to build his kingdom, never to gratify or to inflate our own egos. And too many times as a leader, you'll feel a pride rise up. Well, I did that and I caused that. And it's because of my great giftings and callings that that happened. And we let pride come into our heart. And so maybe we have shut the door on opposition and we have raised up a wall against distraction, but we let pride rise up inside of us. Never lead with an entitled spirit. And we start to think, well, maybe I deserve a little bit more because I've done all of this. And so maybe I get to have a little bit more. We let pride rise in our hearts. In fact, one of the biggest dangers of any kind to success, and Nehemiah has to face this now in the second part of this chapter. He says they start to lead with a prideful heart. I want to see how Nehemiah deals with the temptation because he doesn't give in to it. I want to see how he deals with it to be distracted by an entitled spirit. Verse 10 says, Nehemiah said, Later I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deleah, and grandson of Methabel, who was confined to his home. And he said, Nehemiah, so this is a new character in the story, right? Aren't you impressed how I went through those names, everybody? Don't go back to that verse. You'll see I got them wrong. He's like this new character in the story. Nehemiah, I'm your buddy, right? I got some intel now. I'm I'm coming to warn you. So this new guy shows up on the scene. And he's like, I got some inside news for my buddy Nehemiah. Let's meet each other inside the temple of God. And let's bolt the doors shut. Because your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. So he goes to Nehemiah. He's like, Nehemiah, I got a word from the Lord. Your enemies are coming. I've got intel. You're going to die tonight unless we go into the temple and we lock the doors. And we hide ourselves. And so here's what he says, Nehemiah, I'm your buddy. There's a bounty on your head. Let me help you out here, right? Let me, let me do these things. Let's go into the temple so you can be safe. But see, Nehemiah hasn't let this thing go to his head. Like he's been building the wall. He's come all this way. He has inspired the people. They have finished almost everything but the gates at this point. He has been building and building. He has been leading and leading. He has been inspiring and inspiring. Passion. Leadership, all the great things that Nehemiah would aspire to. He has done those things. And listen to what Nehemiah, what he could have said. What could Nehemiah have said? You know what, Shemaiah, you're right. You're right. I, I should be protected. I should go into the temple. I should go and protect myself. Like, I, I do deserve to have, I know I'm not a priest and I'm not supposed to go in there. But I built these stinking walls, right? Like, I have come and done all this stuff. If anybody should deserve to go into the temple, it should be me. If anybody should be allowed to lead out, to go in there, it should be. And and in fact, God needs me alive to finish this work. And so why shouldn't I save my life and go to the temple? He doesn't say that. In fact, humility is probably what saves Nehemiah's life. Because listen to his response. Because again, Nehemiah could have done anything he wanted. He has done something nobody has been able to do for over 100 years. 
He has done something incredible for the generation. He has done something incredible for the kingdom of God. He has done something incredible, even that it's written in the, the Bible itself. He has done something. He deserves to have an inflated head, but he doesn't. Watch what Nehemiah says. Watch, he says, should someone in my position run from danger? In fact, basically what he's saying is, I have inspired, I have given passion, I have stood before the people and said, God is with us. Should I now run and be like, we're going to hide in a hole somewhere? Should, I, should someone like me, and then should someone in my position, and this is actually translated, should a man like me, should a man like me, not a priest, enter the temple to save his life? Nehemiah says, no, I know I could have a big head about this. I know I could have whatever. I know I, I should, I could have a pride, but no, no, I know that this thing, should someone like me, no, I won't do it. Nehemiah says, no, I know there's this, this temptation to leave with a entitled head that now I am now the prophet. And I am now. And you read in the Old Testament, there are a couple of kings that try this. That think they're so high and mighty. Uzziah in the Old Testament, this is a tragic story. They decide they're going to go into the temple. And they lead with an entitled spirit. Here's Nehemiah. So nobody raised up now building the walls. And he still won't have pride rise in his heart. And it's probably a good thing. Watch this in verse 11. He replies, no, I won't do it. And then he says, I realized that God had not spoken to him. But he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. This should be a movie, everybody. They just show up right back. He said, they were, but they were hoping to intimidate me, discourage, knock me off my purpose, intimidate, and to make me sin, that they'd be able to accuse and to discredit me. Here's what Nehemiah says. I'm not going to hide out. I'm not taking a role that's mine. I refuse to lead with an entitled heart. In other words, this thing didn't start with me, and it's not going to be about me now. This thing wasn't about me at the beginning, and it sure is not going to be about me at this point. He says, it's not about me. It's not about me. For Feel Nehemiah right now. I didn't come to impress people. I didn't come to make a name for myself. I came to build a wall, and that's what I'm going to do. And he said, no, I won't go with you. No, I won't be distracted. No, I won't be discouraged. Nothing will distract. No diversion, no temptation to do it. No, I won't do it. Whenever something you do starts to succeed, you start to reach people, you start to see lives changed. Never think it's because of you. Never be filled with pride. Always imagine the faithfulness of our God. I served him in the beginning. I'm going to serve him all the way to the end. This thing didn't start with me. It's not going to end with me. Nehemiah says, I will not let myself lead with an entitled spirit. He says, no, I won't do it. I don't care how successful I don't think. And listen, the enemies still show up. I don't care how successful you are. I don't care how far you get. I don't care what they still show up. They don't go away. Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they continue to hack away, try to discourage, try to taunt, try to threaten his life, try to do all these things. And in verse 3 of Nehemiah 6, I want to revisit the words that he says. This is probably my favorite verse in the entire book. Before we close this series, I want to look how Nehemiah responds. And let me tell you what he didn't do. Nehemiah doesn't come down off the ladder. He doesn't stop building the wall. He doesn't stop leading the people. He sends a message back to Sanballat and to Tobiah and to Geshem and to the haters and the critics. And he says to them in verse 3, he sent a messenger and he says, I am doing a what? Let's read it together. I am doing a great work. I am doing a great work. And I cannot come down. And they send Nehemiah, would you meet with us? Do it. He says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. You remember all the way back in week one when Nehemiah inspires the people for the first time and he says, and then we began the good work. And now three, four chapters later, you find him saying, okay, it was a good work, but now I've seen the faithfulness of God. I've seen what God has done through us. And he sends this message and he says, no, no, no. Now it is just a great work. 
I am doing a great, this is something my God created me to do. He put me in the exact place at the right time in history with the right king to give the right provision, to go back at the right moment, to inspire the right people, to do something that would outlast us. He says, this is my moment. This is a great work that I am doing and I cannot be distracted. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. And Nehemiah sends this message to his critics. I'm doing a great work. I can't be distracted by your opinion. I'm doing a great work. I can't be knocked off course by the things that you say. I'm doing a great work. I can't be diverted or discouraged. I can't be brought off of it because I am doing a great work for my God. And I cannot come down. Why should I leave and come down to you? Doing a great work. I'm not trying to do something that's popular. I'm trying to do something that's important. I'm not trying to do something. I'm not answering you. I'm not doing those things because I'm trying to be impressive. I'm trying to do something about my purpose. He says, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. I don't know who this is going to speak to today, but I'm envisioning somebody that maybe you're trying to reach one person for the gospel. And you're getting discouraged because it's maybe a prodigal in your family who has run, or maybe it's a worker, a co-worker, or someone around you. And you've been trying and trying. And it feels like you take three steps forward, but four steps back, and it just won't happen. And their heart is so hard. And you're thinking, maybe I can't do it, or maybe it won't happen. Maybe I can't share the love of Christ how I want to. And you say, maybe I'll just give up. No, 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 no. You are doing a great work. Don't come down. Well, I'm saying maybe a stay-at-home parent and you've got toddlers climbing all over you, right? Like drunk squirrels in diapers. Come on, somebody. Like you just got them like all over you all the time. And you're thinking there are so many things I would rather be doing. There are so many things. I could do so much more with my life in this season. I have so much more to give. No, no, listen to me. You are doing a great work. And this season is only for a season. Listen to me. It's only for a season. And you can do other things later in the thing. But right now you are doing a great work. Don't come down. You're pouring in or maybe a ministry or a vision God has given you or something you want to do or accomplish a group of people you want to reach or maybe to share love in your class or in your students, whatever it is that you'd love to do, whatever God has called you to in this season. And you're thinking, I just can't get any headway or their hearts are so hard. I just can't make any kind of I just I don't think I can do it anymore. No, no, you are doing a great work. Don't come down. Don't come down. Nehemiah says to them, why should I meet with you? And stop building the wall. This is what God has called me to do. I don't care if it would build my impressiveness. I don't care if it would build my brand. I don't care what it. I don't care about that because it's a distraction anyway. God has called me to do this. Why should I come down? I'm doing a great work. It's a calling. There's a burden. And some of you have that burden on your life. Some of you have that for something. A ministry. A calling. A difference to make in this world. It is a great work. Don't come down. Then verse 14 and 15, it's a crazy, miraculous story. You see it all through the book of Nehemiah. But when you see the result, when we get here to this point in the series, what I want you to see is it was not a supernatural miracle from heaven in the way that we normally think of it. Right? It wasn't like it was a leadership miracle done with the favor of God through the hands of people. And there are miracles all throughout it. But let me show you this. Nehemiah verse 14, Nehemiah says, remember, oh my God, he's praying one more time. And again, he starts the book, he ends the book, all throughout the book, he's praying. He's saying, remember, God, all the evil things Tobiah and Sambalat have done. And remember Noadiah the prophet and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. And then watch this. And so on October the 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. 52 days. What I love about this, there's no supernatural miracle from heaven. You notice this. Like there's no talking donkey. Come on, somebody. 
There's no fire from heaven. There's no burning bush. There's no bricks that just start like laying themselves on top of one another. It's just amazing. Like they just start multiplying in the wall. There's none of that. There's no like parting of the Red Sea. There's no 10 foot tall angels with blazing eyes of fire, right? Swinging chainsaws, singing, we are the champion. There's nothing like that. Nothing like that in this entire story. There's just an ordinary guy whose heart is broken for the plight of his people. And with the favor of God and the purpose on his life, he goes back and inspires the right people at the right moment with the favor of God to do something nobody else could do. It's nothing like we are normally used to and we say, well, it has to be this way. No, no, this miracle happens with the favor of God through the hands of ordinary people. Because all the way, way back in week number one, he breaks his heart and begins to pray. And then he begins to respond and he goes before the king. And he asked for provision and protection. And whenever the enemies would try to distract him, he says no to everything else because he was saying yes to the purpose God has for him to do the great work. And then in verse 16, this is what scripture says. Verse 16. He says, so when our enemies, when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, Sambalot, Tobiah, Geshem, all those jokers, right? He says, surrounding nations, they heard about this thing. They were frightened and humiliated. And they realized, watch this, they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Listen to me, everybody. Who was glorified? At the end of this work, who was glorified? The one who called for it, the one who empowered it, the one who opened the doors, the one who made it possible, the one who called him out to do it, the one who brought all of the victories and the things, the God who was with him at the beginning, the God who was there in the middle, the God there at every setback, and the God who was there at the end. God was glorified through it. That God was glorified. And wherever you are in the process right now, if you're working for the kingdom of God, know that God is with you, that he is for you, that he'll never leave you or forsake you, that God is still with you. If he has called your hand to it, he will be with you all the way. That he walks with us in the middle of when your enemies come against you, your God is still with you. That greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That our God walks with us. That our God empowers and gives us favor. And maybe we don't see fire come down from heaven, but we see God's favor on our lives to do what he has called us to do. To do what he has called us to do. And when a critic tries to talk you down, you just look and you say, no. Why should I come down? I am doing a great work. Why should I come down? I am a part of building the kingdom of God. Why should I come down? I have been called to the gospel and to see it spread throughout the entire. Why should I come down? I'm part of the great work. We've been talking four weeks now. Four weeks of inspiration. Four weeks of preparation. Four weeks of motivation by God. And so somebody needs to hear this. Now we've been thinking over it. You may have been chewing on it. You've been thinking for four weeks now. Somebody needs to hear this. You will never finish what you don't start. That whatever it is that God has called you to put your hands to, you will never finish if you don't start. That his favor and his calling and his purpose, every single one of us has something we need to do for the kingdom of God. Something we are called to do to change lives and to see eternity altered. Something we are called to do. And we'll never finish if we don't start. Whatever section of the wall he's called you to. Whatever part he's called you to do. Whatever circle of influence. Whatever lives he's called entrusted to you. Opportunities that he has given to you. Purpose to live out in your life. Let the great work begin. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. Father, we ask by the power of your spirit, God, that you would equip your people. Your church, God, that you have called us to do something. That we would recognize, Lord, that we are part of building your kingdom, God. That we would never let pride rise in our hearts. That we would never let God's success go to our head. But we would say we are doing a great work. 
We are doing the purpose of God. We're not here to build our brand. We're not here to make ourselves impressive. We are here to do something that is important. We are here to build the kingdom of God. So now I pray right now, God. Help us to do what is in front of us in this season. 52 days that Nehemiah worked. 52 days to rebuild the wall. We ask you help us to do what you have called us to in this season. That you have placed us at the right time. In the right place to reach the things that you have called us to do. Help us to give us passion, God. Stir us up. Lord, help us not to be distracted, not to be discouraged, but to reach on and to press on, God, for what you have called us to do. The church, keep praying. There's some of you here today, and maybe you're watching online, or maybe you're here for the first time, or maybe you're in the room, and you're hearing that maybe, that you'll never finish what you don't start. For some of you, you're here for one reason and one reason alone. And that is that maybe this moment right now is the start of a new life for you. What do I mean by that? Listen to me, the goodness of God, maybe you've never heard about it or maybe you've never experienced it, but in the goodness and the provision of our God, listen to me, He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And right now you might be saying, well, that's just for somebody else. That's for the churchy goody, goody two shoes. That's just for somebody. No, no, God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And I don't care what anybody else has ever told you in your life. God wants you. He wants you. With all of your brokenness, with all of your past, with all of the things that you've done, He still wants you. And there is still forgiveness for you. That you are never too far. You are never too far gone. You have never done too much. You are wanted by God right now. And there's forgiveness waiting for you in this moment. You say, well, how is this possible? It's all through Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. He says that while we were lost in our sins, while we were dead in our trespasses, while we were dead in our sins, that Jesus didn't just call from heaven. It says He came to earth, became one of us, lived a perfect life, never sinned. Lived on earth, never sinned, but then He went to the cross to die for our sins. You want to know how forgiveness is available to you? You want to know why it's free? It's because Jesus died on a cross. Because he gave his life. Because he gave his life for us. And so right now, you have an opportunity to accept forgiveness. To wipe the slate clean. To say, I'm going to follow him with all of my life. Right now, you have an opportunity in this moment because of his sacrifice. Listen to me, Jesus didn't stay dead. He died for our sins, a sacrifice once and for all. Not a temporary one, but a permanent sacrifice for the sins of the world. But he didn't stay there. It says the power of God, the Father raised him three days later. He said, why did he raise him? So that anyone, you and me included, anyone could call on the name of Jesus and be saved. That you could call on his name and be saved. Don't add anything to it. Don't try to bring a checklist. They all call on the name of Jesus and be saved. So right now, it's the start of something for you. You want a new life. You want to be changed. You want to be transformed. Not that you're just different. No, that you are brand new. That you can have that this morning. That we can pray that prayer. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to come meet me in a separate. Right now, you can make a decision to follow Jesus. And our church has dedicated. We will pray this with every single person who wants to pray. Because every single one of us have been in that moment where we said, I know my sins are too great. I cannot handle them on my own. I need Jesus. 
And so now we will never close the door in somebody's face. We will always, always bring this invitation. So right now, church, let's pray it with them. If you say that's me, watching online, right now in the room, listening, wherever you are right now. Let's pray this together. Church, say it with them. But I'll say the words. You have to say them and mean them yourself. That you'll follow him. Say it with us, church. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sins, of all my mistakes. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, can we give God praise for what he's done today?